Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to have people in the room. It's so much easier to do this when you're not just focused on like eight of my guys back there, right? But I'm glad you guys are here. I appreciate our tech team. They've hung in there. If anybody ought to be, yeah. Wow. Glad for these guys. Our band, Rob and Lane, you've done a great job. Thank you also for tuning in each week to the services and for sharing the services with your family and friends. As a result of you doing that, we have reached literally thousands and thousands of people I don't think we would have otherwise uh, reached. So thank you for doing that, for going online. Thank you for continuing to do that. Uh, I think we're uh, going to be doing this for now on. So here we go. But I'm glad that you're all here this morning. We're in a new series called Renew. Renew. Uh, there's some things that we need to do coming out of quarantine that will help us, I hope, be more effective. I said last week we need to renew our minds. We have to think about what we think about because we go in the direction of our thoughts. And this morning I want to talk about something I think is equally valuable, and that is the idea of renewing our strength. I, th I think we're coming out of this season, I hope we're coming out of it, but we're coming out of this season, I think, exhausted. Are you worn out a little bit, just kind of exhausted with this whole mess? I think it, it really is. It, it's, it, have you ever thought it's possible to sleep really good at night and wake up tired? Have you ever done that? I mean, you had a good night's rest and you just wake up like that French philosopher that said, I have so much to do today, I think I'm going back to bed. You have one of those experiences? Well, exhaustion can attack us. Exhaustion is a real thing. There is obviously physical exhaustion, and they say that that sometimes is tied to lack of sleep or quality sleep. They say sometimes it's your diet. Maybe you're not drinking enough water. Sometimes you're not exercising. There's a lot of things you can do to address physical exhaustion. But then there is emotional exhaustion that, that is real. Emotional exhaustion, sometimes it's uh, brought about because maybe we're holding on to some things that we have to let go. Maybe we're holding on to some people you need to let go. Sometimes we have emotional exhaustion because we can't get past our past. Sometimes it's tied to some guilt and some issues that we're dealing with in our life. Hey, sometimes we have emotional exhaustion because of some of the people that we still allow to be in our orbit. Uh, you have any toxic relationships in your life? People that try to pull you in? Every time you talk to them, there's a new drama. They're just drama mamas, <laughs> drama kings, and they'll try to pull you right into the middle of their stuff, and uh, that's just, you know, the nature of their world, and so I'm not saying you don't help your friends. I'm not saying you're not there for your friends, because we all need that. We've all been down from time to time, but I'm talking about those people that have been in a bad mood for 25 years. <laughs> you know, at some point, the nose of the plane's got to get pulled up, and so I'm, I'm saying there are people in your world that will try to pull you in, and you have to evaluate sometimes when helping them starts hurting you, when helping them starts hurting you. And so you have to realize that you have toxic relationships in your life to try to pull you in. Sometimes they'll try to pull you over, pull you over. You were headed this way, and now you got in this, and now they pulled you to the side. Now you're completely off track. You've lost your focus. You've lost your direction. You're doing more for them than you're doing for yourself. And you found that they have hijacked your life. 
And it's hard to see that when you're in the middle of it. So sometimes you have to come to a service or watch one like this online to go, oh, I have an epiphany. I realize I'm putting too much of my emotional energy into people that aren't reciprocating back toward me, right? Listen, you're a limited resource. There's only so much of you you can give. So be careful. Watch the meters. Watch the gauges of your life. So you have people that try to pull you in, people that try to pull you over, people that try to pull you down. You have emotional vampires that suck the energy right out of you. <laughs> you ever have any of those relationships where you can be with someone just a matter of minutes and you feel like the witch on the Wizard of Oz? I'm melting. You're just, all life is getting sucked right out of you. And suddenly you realize, I got to get more replenishing friendships in my life because these draining relationships are killing me. So I'm just suggesting some things for you to think about this morning as to why you might be suffering from some emotional exhaustion. It may have something to do with relationships. It may have something to do internally with how you're processing and thinking about your life right now that is draining you emotionally. So you have physical exhaustion. You have emotional exhaustion. Do you know you can have spiritual exhaustion? You can burn out spiritually. Get to a point where you're really not into the Bible or prayer or going to church or any of those spiritual disciplines. You just, you just burned out. You're just worn out. It's possible to be there. So I'm saying, I just want you to stop long enough to evaluate yourself and ask yourself, are you exhausted? Are you just worn out? And if you don't recognize that and you don't realize that and you don't begin to take steps to doing something about that, here's what happened. When you're worn out, it's easy to get wrought up. When you're worn out, it's easy to get wrought up. That's why you see so much road rage stuff going on. I guarantee you 100% of the people who have road rage issues don't really have an issue with the person they're going after on the road. That issue's been percolating somewhere below the surface for a long, long time. There's some unresolved anger or issue in their life, and that dude just happened to be the one that triggered all that anger. It's just dealing, not dealing with something that's beneath the surface, see? And what happens is when you are weary, you'll get uh, worn out. And when you're worn out, you'll get wrought up and you'll end up taking out your frustration on people that had absolutely nothing to do with your problem. You just take it out on innocent people. And the reason I'm talking to you about that this morning is no one can see the gauges of your life but you, initially. No one can really know the condition of your heart but you, initially. I say initially because if you don't address it soon, uh, everybody who loves you and knows you will see it. <laughs> What's now kind of hidden within your heart and your mind, if it's not addressed, eventually will work its way out of your life and be uh, obvious in how you talk and how you act. And so this thing of exhaustion is real and we have to uh, uh, acknowledge it and begin to take steps to address it, which is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Glad you came. Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah deals with this thing of spiritual exhaustion. And before I read the narrative, let me tell you that the enemy will exploit you when you're exhausted. He will exploit you when you're exhausted. When Paul was writing about the enemy you and I face in 2 Corinthians, he said basically this in chapter 2, verse 11, the devil, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. We're not ignorant of his tactics. Here's what he meant by what he said. The devil will do what the devil has done, right? He's not original. Whatever tactic he's employed in your life, if it was effective, he'll use it again. Whether it's a relationship, financial situation, a career, something, whatever he's done that worked on you, he will do that again. And he will always exploit you at the point of your weakness, when you're vulnerable. 
uh, when you are um, going through something or when you have been through something and you're just worn out. In fact, let me give you a principle of what I'm saying here. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, this is when Israel was leaving Egypt going toward the Canaan land. And in Deuteronomy 25, 17, he says, do you remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt? Now, he's reminding them of something. He said, you remember what you went through? There was a period back here when the Amalekites came against you. Now, understand, the Amalekites were people who hated God and hated anyone that God represented. So he naturally hated God's kids. And the Israelites had done nothing to the Amalekites to upset them. So this was just these guys innocently going through the wilderness on the way to the Canaan land. The Amalekites hated them, so they decided they would try to attack them. And the Bible says, here's what they did. Verse 18, Deuteronomy 25, when you were weary. When did they attack? When you were weary. When did they attack? And worn out. They met you and attacked you on your journey. Notice when they attacked them. When they were weary and they were worn out. And you know how they attacked them? He said they attacked all who were lagging behind. Now understand, whenever Israel, who were a million strong, were marching through the wilderness, if you were injured, if you were sick, if you were elderly, you were not able for whatever reason to defend yourself, they would put you at the back of the formation. The idea is there will be so many people out in front and along your side to cover the flank that there's no way you could be attacked. Well, the Amalekites had done a little... um, uh, observation. They had put, sent some spies out to observe. Uh, the, the, they watched how that worked, and they saw that the weakest and the weary and the worn were at the back of the pack. You know what they did? They sent their forces and attacked Israel from the back. They attacked them from the back of the formation. And you know who they hit first? The worn, the weary, and the hurting. And what he was saying is he's saying, this is a strategy. This is how the enemy works. When you're worn out, when you're weary, when you're hurting, when your heart is broken, you are absolutely vulnerable for an attack by the enemy. He doesn't fight fair. Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil's roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. If you've ever watched one of those National Geographic specials on, a, on the lion, how smart the lion is, he studies his prey. He doesn't attack his prey at the point of its strength. He waits until the prey isn't looking. He, he attacks the prey in the blind spot. We all have blind spots. He attacks the prey if it's wounded, if it can't stay up with the herd, and it gets separated from the herd. It, it doesn't have a group of people around him. It doesn't have a church to surround them. It doesn't have good friends to be with them. All of a sudden, they are isolated, and they're insulated, and they're vulnerable. And the lion in that moment attacks, and he takes out the prey. So he's saying here, if you're connecting dots, that's a New Testament illustration with an Old Testament illustration. He's saying, this is how your enemy rolls. He's going to come at you when you are exhausted. He will come at you when you are worn out. He will come at you when you are broken, when your heart is broken. So I say that to say this, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. I'm just giving you a heads up, right? I'm just saying, be aware. Watch out. This is what may happen to you when you find yourself vulnerable. Now to Isaiah 40. Here's what he said. God, verse 29, gives strength to the weary. Now, man, that's good news. When you're weary and you're worn out, the Bible says, here's a promise, God will give you strength. 
He's not just going to leave you to twist in the wind. He's not going to leave you to your own devices. He's not going to say, good luck with that. Bet that hurts. <laughs> the Bible says he will give strength to the weary. And notice, he increases the power of the weak. You find yourself weary. You find yourself weak. He says, I'm going to strengthen you in the point of your weaknesses. And I'm going to give you a, a, a power uh, to overcome this. Even, he said, verse 30, youths grow tired and weary Young men stumble and fall, meaning that the strongest among us, even those you would never think would have an issue or would stumble, even, he said, even the people you look at and you look up to and you admire the most, even those people will stumble and fall. No one's infallible. Man, I'm telling you, every one of us are subject to hurt and every one of us are subject to pain and every one of us are subject to this. Never look down your nose on someone who has stumbled and fallen. You have too, you just forgot about it. The Bible says in Psalm 37, the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord uh, and he delights in his way. And then the next phrase is, though he fall. Good people stumble, good people fall. And in the narrative, he says, even the strongest among us stumble and fall. But here's the heart of what I want to talk to you about for a few moments. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. There it is. Those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. What does it look like? They soar on wings like eagles. They run and they're not weary. They walk and they don't faint. So he's saying here that if we're worn out and we're weary this morning, it is possible to have our strength renewed. Now, what does it mean to be renewed? What's that word renew mean? The word renew, get this, means exchanged. Exchanged. It's an exchange. Now, when you receive Jesus as your Savior... He changes your life, right? If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creature, a new creation. And by the way, the change doesn't take place until you meet Christ as your Savior. It doesn't take place before. Because some people think Christianity is behavior modification. Meaning that God changes me so that he can love me. That's not how it works. Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. So he doesn't change you so he can love you. He loves you anyway. He loves you just as you are. Remember that great hymn, Billy Graham closed all of his crusades, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. You receive Jesus as your Savior, you come just as you are. Broken and busted up, you come just as you are. And the change happens once you know him as your Savior, he changes your life. And then not only does he change your life, get this now, he exchanges his life with yours. He takes my sin and gives me his righteousness. He can take my sorrow and give me his joy. He can take the ashes and he can turn those ashes into something beautiful. You see what I mean? It's not just a changed life, it's an exchanged life. And he's saying what happens when you're depleted and when you're weary and you're worn is you don't need to be changed as much as you need exchange. You need God to exchange your weakness and your worn out and your, and your, uh, uh, your sorrow. You needed him to exchange it for his strength. So the secret here is in the same verse to having our strength renewed is in this little word, wait. Those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. Now, everyone in the room wants to have strength renewed, right? We want to be encouraged. We want to have joy. We want to have the burden lifted from our life. And he's saying the way this renewal happens is through this word wait. Those who wait on the Lord 
renew their strength. Well, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? When I say that to you, what hits your mind? If I say to you, God wants you to wait on him, what do you think of? Kick back, stay in quarantine a few more months, <laughs> wait on some cacophony of angels to tell you, oh, here it is. I mean, is that what it means to wait on the Lord? Does it mean I'm just waiting for a boat out of the blue? Am I just waiting for a burning bush somewhere? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean inactivity. It's not passive. In the Hebrew, the idea of wait is very aggressive. Now, some of you guys, when we leave here, we'll go to a restaurant in a little while, and someone who will take care of you, we call them what? Waiters, right? Waiters. Now, is that passive or is it active? I know it depends on the restaurant. But generally, it's very active. It means that that waiter that is taking care of you are attentive to you. They're watching you. They're, they're watching your glass. They're watching your plate. They're, they're watching to try to catch your eye. They're seeing, is there anything I can do to serve them or help them to make sure their experience is good? Because you're going to reward them because you're going to tip them really good, I hope. And so what you do is you are, you are honoring someone who is waiting on you. That's God. God is saying those who wait on the Lord, not passive but very active, renew their strength. So I can give you two or three things to think of. To wait on the Lord has this idea of longing for God. Longing for God. Meaning by that, he becomes the desire of my heart. He becomes a desire of my heart. Listen to Psalm 62, verse 1. My soul, here's our word, waits upon God. From him cometh my salvation. The psalmist said, man, I have a desire for God. I realize that the God who has forgiven me and who's going to guarantee my uh, place in heaven one day is my God, and I, I, just, I just desire to be in his presence, Right? It is to have a desire for God. It involves longing for God. It means everything I need, I can find in that relationship with him. What do you need this morning? God has it. What are you going through this morning? You need answers to. God's got it. And part of waiting for him means all of a sudden, man, he has my heart's desire. My desire is to be in the presence of my God. So that's part of waiting, longing for God. Number two, it means listening to God. Another verse, Proverbs 8, 34, blessed is the one, here it is, that hears me. How do they hear me? Waiting daily at the post of my doors. Solomon gives a word picture to an employee waiting on their employer. They're standing at the gate of their house. They're standing at the post of their doors, waiting on them to step out so they can hear what the employer wants them to do today, right? That's the word picture. He's saying it's almost like you are every day you wake up. You're waking up cognizant of the fact that I'm in the presence of God. I know he has a word for me. I know he has a desire for me. I know he has some reason for me to be here or I would have awakened in his presence. So since he's left me on the earth, there's a plan and a purpose. So I need to know what that is. I need to see every day as a gift from God. And I know there's a reason that he's left me here to help someone, to, do so, to speak some encouragement into someone's life, to help lift someone's burden, to share my faith with someone who may be struggling. So all of that is tied to this idea of being cognizant of his presence and being attentive to his will for my life. So it's the idea of longing for God, my desire, listening to God. I told you in the series Exile, it's not that God's not talking. It's that we don't listen. Uh, have you noticed, now I talked about this, how loud your life can be. 
schedules. And I think if anything, this quarantine helped us reevaluate our schedules. I can't tell you many guys I've, I've corresponded with or texted with who said, I had no idea how crazy my life was until it stopped. All of a sudden, I realized how many plates I had spinning and how much I had going on and how many things we had to attend to each and every week. And all of a sudden, I, I reevaluated it during this time of quarantine. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we don't hear God. It's not that he's not speaking. It's just our lives are so loud, we're not hearing him. So sometimes we have to get ourselves into a quiet place. We have to shut the noise of our life out long enough to meditate, to think about, to concentrate on God's purpose and plan for our life. And Solomon said, that's what waiting on him is. It's listening. What do you want me to do, God? Help me to be sensitive. Here's what I found in my life. See how this works for you. The devil pushes God always leads. If you're being pushed or pressured into a decision, it's the wrong decision. If somebody's pressuring you or pushing you to make a decision, you're going to make the wrong one. Wait. There it is. Wait on the Lord. Listen for him because the devil will push you. God will lead you. I, I think it works like this. I've shared this with you before. I've had decisions in my life, huge decisions where I felt some pressure. I know I needed to make a call. and I needed to go ahead and make it, but I wasn't at peace with it, right? And I waited until I had peace about the decision that I was going to make. And it's, it's nothing, I don't mean sound all ethereal or esoterical. It just, I woke up one day and I said, this is the time. I knew what I was supposed to do. I just didn't know when I was supposed to do it. And I prayed about it. And one day I just woke up and said, okay, this is the day. This is one, and I ended up making the call. It was still a hard call, but it was the right call. So I don't know if that helps anybody this morning. I'm just saying that when you are listening to God, when it's time, you'll know it. He'll show that to you. And until that time, you just keep pressing in, and you keep waiting at the post of his door, and you keep listening to him, because he'll show you when it's time. Thirdly, it means looking to God. It means changing your focus. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 27, these, here's our word, wait upon you that you may give them their food. Now, I don't know if you have animals. If you don't have animals, you have kids probably. And you know what they do every day? They wait on you that you may give them their food. You have that experience. They wait on, they're dependent upon you. Why? You are the source of their supply. I, none of these kids are stressed about what they're going to eat. I promise you, I look around this room, we got some little ones in here. I love these boogers. I'm sorry I'm boring you kids. It'll get better. Trust me. We're going to get our kids. Watch online. Those, those kids and youth have great programs, so thanks for playing along with the big people this morning. But let me tell you something. None of these kids are stressed. They're not stressed about the mortgage. None of those kids went to bed last night going, well, what about the economy? I don't know, man. Just worried about the economy. None of them went to bed worried about any of that. None of them went to bed stressed about the job, about what am I going to do? I mean, in this season of life, we come out of this, what are we going to do? None of them went to bed last night worrying about what they're going to eat. In fact, probably woke you up in the night in your pantry, right? You know why they don't worry about that? Because they know you have them. You've got them. They know they are loved. They know in that love there is provision. They know in that provision they have everything they need. And let me tell you something. If you and I love our kids that much, God loves us even more. So what is he saying? He's saying when we're waiting on him, we're recognizing that he is the substance of our supply. 
Believe me, I got some big animals, and every evening at the same time, they start looking for me for their food. I'm the substance, source of their supply. And that's exactly what it means. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He didn't say out of his riches and glory. He said according to. What's the difference? It's a distinction with a difference. It means if he said out of, that means his riches were being depleted. In other words, every time he meets a need somewhere, it's coming out of. So those riches are being depleted. It's a, it's a limited supply. But it says it's according to, meaning that he can meet every need in this room and every need of those watching me online and every need of anyone in this world. He can meet every need and it never touched the supply. It is an infinite supply. So let me ask you this morning, what do you need? What are you stressing about? He said, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, you see the little birds that fall? Your father sees them when they fall. You see the lilies? They don't stress. When do you ever see a stressed sparrow? When do you ever see a little white-haired sparrow gnawing on its little, you know, nails there? When do you ever see a stressed out? I don't know where I'm going with that. When do you see a little stressed out flower, right? He's saying, look at nature. Nature isn't worried. I've set this thing up where it's self-sufficient. It's going to be taken care of. And he said, aren't you more valuable than all of these other things? So I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, when you are looking to him, you're recognizing he's the source of your supply. And the fourth thing he says, waiting on him involves living for him, serving him. Uh, listen to Proverbs 27, 18. Whoever keeps the fig tree will eat the fruit. So he that hears our word, waits on his master, will be honored. Look at the analogy. If you grow a fruit tree and you nurture that tree, you water that tree, you take care of that tree, you're going to benefit from that tree. You nurture a relationship, you foster the relationship. Most of the time, sometimes you'll get discouraged and hurt and betrayed, but most of the time, you'll benefit from the relationship. But he's not talking about our relationships with each other primarily. He's talking about our relationship with God. He's saying, when you nurture the relationship you have with your heavenly Father, you're going to benefit from it, listen, every time. Every time. God will take care of you. One poet wrote, uh, be not dismayed. Whate'er betide, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God's able to take care of you. And Isaiah concluded with it and said, look, when you wait on him and he renews your strength, here's what that looks like. He said, you can soar like an eagle. Eagle's a majestic, a beautiful bird, different from all the others in that. An eagle will fly directly into a storm when all the other birds fly away. And the eagle can fly into the storm because it has an ability to cup its wings. And when the eagle cups its wings, it catches the thermal updrafts from those storms. And that thermal updrafts will lift the eagle higher and higher above the storm. And once it's above the storm, it has an extra eyelid that can drop to cover the retina of its eye so it's not blinded by the brilliance of the sun. Let's put that together. God can give you an ability that other people don't have to soar above things that causes other people to run away from. God can give you the ability to see things that your friends may not be able to see because he's given you an ability to soar where your friends may not have that ability to soar. So Isaiah said, man, it's worth it, waiting on God and listening to him, looking to him, longing for him, living for him. He'll renew your strength so that when you need to soar, you can soar. I meet people all the time and I hear their story and I'm amazed at what they've been through. 
I mean, Max is here this morning, and it wasn't too many years ago that they told Max Cannon at Baylor Hospital in Grapevine, this is the sickest man I've ever had in ICU. He had no chance of surviving, humanly speaking. And there he sits right over there, a miracle of God's healing and grace. I've heard stories like that. I've seen people in our church that God has brought them through incredible, difficult, incredible experience, brokenness, devastation in their life. And God brought them through. What am I saying? I'm saying, man, when you wait on God and he renews your strength, he can put you over things that put everybody else under. He has that ability. You soar on wings as eagles. And then he says, you run and you're not weary. Now listen, you don't run all the time, but when you need to run, you run. That's the idea. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up and knows that if it can't outrun the fastest lion, it'll die. Every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up and knows if it can't run faster than the slowest gazelle, it'll starve. Either way, that lion and gazelle wakes up knowing, I got to get running. And let me tell you something. You wake up in the morning, sometimes you got to hustle. You got to run. There's opportunities that will pass you by if you don't run. Now, you don't run all the time, but you got to run sometimes. So he's saying, when you are waiting on me and I'm renewing your strength, there's times when you can soar. There's times when you can run. And then he closed it with this, and I'll close here too. He says, you walk and you don't faint. What's the idea of walking? It's what we do every day. It's ordinary. That's the idea. It's just ordinary. You'll walk more than you run. You'll, you'll walk more than you fly. <laughs> you walk. He's saying in the various trials and difficulties and all the vicissitudes of life, I'm going to give you the ability to walk and not faint. Not faint. I, lo I love the, how he draws the fainting. I, I've, never, I've never met anybody that fainted at the right time. Right? The Bible says in due season we will reap if we faint not. Never met anybody that fainted at the right time. You, you never faint on cue. I told you this a few years ago. I, I just, I'll close it with this. I've done a lot of weddings, and so far I haven't done one yet where I lost a, a groom, but I've gotten real close, real close. It's amazing about weddings. Like I said, I've done hundreds of them, and uh, I've never met a stressed-out bride, really. They stress a little more about getting things in order and ready, and they have their crazy aunt that's their wedding coordinator that's helping them, and you deal with that. But the point is, uh, most of the brides are, are very much in control of what's going on. They know how they want it. They're not stressed about it. And the groom and the groomsmen are just goofballs, right? They're just clueless. They don't know what's going on. It's never going to happen. They're just having fun with their friends or hanging out. This guy doesn't know his world is about to change. He just doesn't know. And so they're all, you know, so that's all the dynamic. I have the, the bride and all of her bridesmaids and a crazy aunt. And so the planning is happening and all this is going on. I have these goofy groomsmen. I can't get them real. It's like herding kittens, trying to get them to focus. And then all of a sudden something happens on the night of the wedding. The night of the wedding, the bride steps forth. She's beautiful. She looks like a princess. She says, ah, you know. And I go over in the groom's room and oh my gosh, you can cut the tension in that room with a knife. Where those boys were goofy 24 hours a day, it is just dry, they're sweating dry mouth, all the nerves are in that room. I mean, they are just, I mean, it's his reality has now hit. I've told you before, real stress is when your teeth grind all night and they're in a jar. Well, that's what's happening over in the groom's room. There's a lot of stress going on over there. 
And so I, 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 every time I have to coach them up a little bit. Man, don't lock your knees. Stay comfortable. It's okay. It's just friends and family. You've got a friendly audience. Everybody in the room loves you. <laughs> You're going to be fine. You know, don't worry. Just, just stay with me. Breathe. Breathe. Don't hold your breath. Breathe. Don't lock your knees. Just keep it loose. Just keep this thing flowing. And I remember on one day, I did all that, all that, all that. And I remember I brought him out, trying to keep him cool, trying to keep him relaxed. They're standing in front of me. I'm in the middle of the ceremony, and all of a sudden, I see the groomsman, and he's starting to do this little bit of a bob and weave deal, like this thing going. I'm going, oh, no, this is not good. Uh, and back then, they had cummerbunds, right? I don't know if that's still a thing with Texas. But he had this cummerbund on. And so I remember, I don't know why, but my reflex was to reach my hand forward and put my finger in his cummerbund, <laughs> thinking I could hold him up if he fell. I mean, he's going to hit the ground. I got a cummerbund swinging off my finger. That's what that's going to look like. I don't know. It's just what I thought to do. So I just reach for it. And I don't think, hey, you, you with me? Don't leap. Don't stay. You, you watch me right here, right? I mean, I'm really trying to keep him in the zone. So why? So he didn't faint. Because you never faint at the right time. And thank God we got them through that ceremony. And we still laugh about it today. But the point I'm making is, you're going to walk more than you run. You're going to walk more than you fly. And God says, man, when you partner with me and you allow me to renew your strength, you can get through the day uh, grind of life and you won't faint. You won't give in. You won't give up. You won't give out. That's what it means to renew your strength. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we read it and study it, we find that it's very practical. We find that it's practical. It's, we can comprehend it. We can understand it. And not only is it practical, it's possible. We can actually do this. This isn't rocket science. We actually can put this word into practice in our life. And then we find it's powerful. It has the ability to change so much of how we think and how we act. So I pray this morning, Lord, that we just won't be hearers of your word, but we'll be doers of it as well. Help us to realize that you said faith without works is dead. This will mean nothing to any of us if we don't put it into practice. So when we break out of this big old holy huddle, I pray we'll execute your word. And I pray, Lord, finally for anyone watching or anyone in the room who's never received you as Savior, they might swallow their pride and say, Lord, with everything I know about me, I trust everything I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin is my prayer. Lord, I pray you'll bless every family, every individual in this room. Protect them. Bless their businesses. Lord, we pray for our country. We lift our nation up to you. We pray, Father, you would truly heal our land. Help us to be your light and your life that shines brightly into a world that desperately needs your love. Thank you, Father, for the joy of knowing Jesus, for the joy it is to make him known. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.